Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. There's a place that we have to come to where we can define our relationship with God, and we, we have decided where we're at. More than decided, we are resolved. And that's the title for the, the message today is Resolved. Resolved is a very specific word, and the more I meditate on this word, the more I realize that I just love it. Because like having a resolve is a rarity in our society. I read this quote the other day, and I thought it was pretty applicable, and it said, being married is just two adults trying to decide what to have for supper for the rest of their lives. And I'm like, yeah, isn't that the thing? It's the... You, you, you grow up and as a teenager, a young person, you can't wait till you can decide. You can decide what to do with your time. You could decide what to do with your day. You could decide when you want to go to bed. Now we're just like, please, Jesus, let it be time to go to bed. Like, <laughs> was literally, we, we've had some busy uh, days the last little bit in our house. Wayne's been doing some big work and we're like, is it time to go? It's 8, 12. Um, yeah, it's time, to, it's time to go to bed, you know? But you, you, you grow up and you like, you wanna be able to make your decisions and then you become an adult and hashtag adulting sucks. It means you have to decide all the things, all the things. You have to decide, like we've, we've had decisions go interesting in our house over the years. Little things like, I, at one point Wayne said to me, why don't you buy paper towel? And I'm like, it's a waste. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know why we have to buy paper towel. We have like towel towels. And he's like, I don't know. My mom always had paper towel. And I'm like, well, we, we don't need paper towel. You've got, you've got like cloth towels right there. He's like, but you have to wash them. I'm like, but then you can use a Kleenex. He's like, you also rarely buy Kleenex because toilet paper is just long Kleenex. Like, work it out. <laughs> I... I I don't understand why we have to have all the things. So then I find myself standing there. I'm like, okay, I'm, I love my man. I'm going to buy paper towel. Do you want the tiny sheets or the long sheets? Well, the, the tiny sheets, you can, you can rip them. You, I mean, you could take a big sheet and you can rip it in half, or you could take a big sheet and you can fold it in half if, if you need to, or you could take two of the small sheets. I don't understand why they're selling me two options right now. I hate this. And then, you know, do you want it the fast picker upper thing or the slow picker upper? Do you want it super absorbent, not absorbent? And then they've got like big puffy things on the pictures. And then it seems to me the one with the tiger on the front is the most attractive, but I'm not sure if that's just because I like animals. And I, I'm distracted now by the animals on the paper towel. It's so frustrating. So I just buy a box of Kleenex and we call it good. I don't like buffets. Um, I know that's odd, but I feel like all the choice is just very upsetting to me. I would really, I mean, I go down and I'm like sniffing everything without trying to get too close because so there's like the sneeze guard is there. So I try and stay within a decent range of, but I, I don't know what it is. So I, I don't know if I actually want to like it. So I wait and I, I tend to hang back and see what other people have chosen and do they like what they chose? Because now I have to choose. I have struggled with certain, um, a specific sandwich shop that is everywhere through the north. 
Do you want green peppers or red peppers? Do you want lettuce? What kind of lettuce do you want? Do you want white cheese or orange cheese? Which really is the same cheese, just one has coloring in it. What kind of bread do you want? Do you want it toasted? Do you want it flattened? Do you want, just want the picture. Do you have instructions to make what is in the picture, right? So all that to say, I find options very stressful. I think there are some times when we are resolved that it makes life smoother. And when it comes to the things of God, it is the same as that. As long as everything is up for grabs and we're wondering if all the things, it's very stressful. And we consistently wonder about who God is, what he's capable of, why he would do that. Is he invested at all? Does he even care? Does he even see me? And when we can be resolved, it takes the crazy out of it and it lets us sit down on the inside. I don't know, you know, if you're maybe newly married and you haven't been told this before, things like divorce shouldn't even be an option. It shouldn't be a word that is mentioned in your house. Why? Because if it's, an, it's a possibility or breaking up is a possibility or separating is a possibility, then every time you have a disagreement, which is normal, the other person wonders, are we splitting up? Are we divorcing? Is this the end? If you need a little time and you need to clear your head, but divorce is on the table and you walk out the door and say, I need to go for a walk and just think about this. The other person is instantly going, can I pay the mortgage without you? Seriously. It can't be a debate whether or not marriage, it, when you resolve on the inside, we're in this together. And even though it's bumpy, sometimes we will figure it out. We will figure it out. There's going to be a solution. I don't like you right now, but I've committed the rest of my life to you. So we will figure it out. Amen. We will work it out. Come on now. Amen. I don't have to understand everything that the other person does. We, we, I mean, anybody who's been married any length of time, Wayne and I just celebrated 32 years. Yeah. I know, right? He does weird stuff, man. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> usually me that does the weird stuff. We are so past the point of wondering how high we can stack the dishes on the counter before somebody's going to load the dishwasher. We have got to the point in life where we now know somebody's got to load the stinking dishwasher and we might as well get it over with and life is easy. So we have settled into a pattern. The person who cooks doesn't have to clean up. One person cooks, one person cleans. It hasn't made him cook a lot more, but... Uh, but I don't have to clean, so that's awesome. We found little things like literally toothpaste. Toothpaste is of the devil, or at least the packaging of it. Do you squeeze from the bottom or do you just squeeze it? Some of us are more orderly than others. And so we spent years explaining to one another why we do what we do, and now we buy two bottles of toothpaste. Yep. And uh, that's been working very well for us. So little things like that, you learn along the way. You're just resolved. We don't have to fight about everything. We're in it together. We know we love each other. We just are seeing things from different perspectives, right? Also, there's no debate. Toilet paper does go over. Yeah. <laughs> it's meant to be a beard, not a mullet. Come on. <laughs> just... I'm pretty sure there's a scripture verse for that. I haven't found it yet, but it's there, people. It's there. Okay, moving on. There was like, is she going to preach at all today? I don't even know. Here's the thing. It is 
perspective that is different, but when the resolve is in place, the different perspectives have time and space to be worked out. When we are resolved about our belief in God, who he is, how we trust him, how we see him, what we believe about him towards us, then even if my perspective can't quite sort everything out right now, I know it's going to come together in the end. I know that he is good. I know that he's on the throne. I know that it all works works out in the end. There's this absoluteness. There's a, a passage where the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 talks about this. And if you got your Bibles, just flip to this one. And I, I love how he puts this. He's, he's come through this period of time where he's, he's experienced a lot. Paul has experienced a lot. And he uses words that are strong. He uses words that are committed. And starting in verse 35 of Romans 8, it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Now, these, these, he's asking stuff like that because these are things he's experienced. He's like, can, can this stuff, does this mean God doesn't love me? That's literally what he, when he says, what can separate me from the love of God? He's saying, just because I go through these things. Does that mean that God doesn't love me? Our North American viewpoint sometimes is very based on cause and effect. And we feel like if I'm experiencing these effects, the cause must be. If I'm going through a hard time, God must not love me. If I'm going through a difficult time, God must not see me. If I'm going through the press, God must have forgotten me. And, and this passage, we're talking about a man who has been whipped and beaten and shipwrecked. He, he goes through a lot in his life. And he's like, I am convinced. He has this assurance going on on the inside. He says, as it is written for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded. That is a good sentence. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am absolutely persuaded. He is saying, I have decided more than I have decided. I have resolved. And resolved is this really great word that means it is locked into place. And we're going to get into this specifically, but everything that King David or uh, that Paul walked out had to be filtered through the initial conversion that he had when he encountered Jesus. Because everything in his life up to that point had steered towards an awareness of God. He had this encounter with Jesus. And from then on, he resolved to make his experiences come into agreement with that encounter. He had decided he was firm in knowing who God was. King David was another man who lived that way. And we see in his experiences... The, the relationship that he had with God, and we see it instructionally in the New Testament. So the Psalms are one of those cool books. If you're new to the Bible, Psalms is poetry. And 
probably better read in Hebrew than by the time it's been translated down a bunch for us. But it's poetry. It's the expression of the heart. And there's instruction in it. There's teaching. There's wisdom. There's counsel. And there's emotion. A lot of people say emotion has nothing to do with faith. We're made in God's image. And really, we can see in the word all the different expressions of emotion that God has them too. He has feelings. He has heart. He has expression. And so Psalms gives us one of these places. And we see that most of them are written by King David. And we see this relationship that he has with God. We see him in good times. We see him in bad times. We see him while he's coming up into a position of leadership. We see him while he's hiding in the caves, being hunted down. But we see all along the way that he is committed. He is resolved in his relationship with God. So there are, just for if you're a note taker, the five different types of psalms. There's Thanksgiving psalms. We love to read those psalms because they're happy. So Thanksgiving psalms give us this place like Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, come before his presence with singing. It's like happy, it's joyful. They're great psalms. There's the royal psalms which talk about God and the king as God's anointed leader. They include messianic prophecies and the leading towards Jesus as the king of kings. There are wisdom psalms that teach us about God, about our walk with him, about how he operates. There are praise psalms, which are poetic expressions of praise to God. What we read this morning, Psalm 8, is considered a praise psalm. And then there are laments. And laments often get skipped except at funerals. But laments are the expression of the human struggle and the cry of the heart. And today we're actually going to go through and study a lament because it is what God has highlighted for today. And when I was in prayer over this morning and just praying like, God, what do you have to say to your people? I just got to tell you, I spent a fair bit of time like just weeping on the floor because I felt the heart of God for his people. And I felt this move of healing, a spirit of healing. And I feel like it is physical I feel like it's emotional. I feel like it's spiritual. That God wants to heal some things that have been damaged, some places that have been broken, some places that have been weakened. That there is a spirit of healing that he wants to release. And we get to choose to step into it. We get to decide whether to receive it or not. And I don't know what you're going through. Sometimes it's as simple as we're, you know, we're sending our little ones to school for the first time and that's scary. And we hope that we're making the right decision. Sometimes it's financial and we don't know how we're going to make it through, you know, the next week or two. Sometimes it's big stuff. It's, it's you know, <clears throat> loss. It's, it's um, you know, medical diagnoses that have no human answer, things like that. Sometimes it's heartbreak. Sometimes it's broken relationships, whatever it is. Sometimes it is, I've got so many whys for God that I barely can pray anymore. I barely know how to engage him. I don't know what to say. I know what I'm supposed to think, I know what I'm supposed to believe. I know what I've heard in church, but my insides are struggling a little bit with this. And I believe today God wants to heal that. He wants to bring it into a right place with him that we need to decide and be resolved in our walk with him. The reality is it is hard to pray when we are overwhelmed by decisions. God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I could do this. I could do this. I don't know what to do. I'm just like, God, I I don't even know what to do. I mean, some people think this, I I feel like maybe I should do this, but if I do this and this is going to happen and I don't, I don't even know. I'm overwhelmed by decisions and I try and pray about it. And people will say, well, what's God saying? I don't know. 
All I hear is the, you know, hamster wheel in my own head all the time. It's hard to pray when we hurt. When we hurt, it's hard to know what to say, what to pray. God, help. Like it's hard to know how to express that. It's hard to pray when we feel pressed and the pressure is squeezing us and you just have this need to solve something. Fix it. Just make it stop. It's hard to pray. It's hard to pray when the heart is sick from hope deferred. I've been waiting. I've been hoping. I've been counting. It seems like you've said no. It seems like you've said wait. I don't know. I am scared to get my hopes up again. I'm scared to believe again. It is hard to pray. It's hard to pray when we feel rejected. It's hard to pray when it feels like the people around us don't understand us. It's hard to pray when we feel like maybe God doesn't even really see us because we feel alone. So Psalm 25 is this psalm that is a lament that is incredibly beautiful, um, and it's, it's got some tools in it. It's got some keys in it. It's got some ways to help us that no matter what we're going through, we can learn to pray. And one of the things that I thought was so interesting, if we start at the back of the book instead of the beginning, and every administrative person just had a pain, but... Um, Start at the back, verse 16 of Psalm 25. This is, this is King David saying, he says, turn to me and have mercy on me or turn yourself to me and have mercy on me for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and pain and forgive all my sin. Consider my enemies for they are many and they hate me with cruel hatred. Oh, good times. Um, what I think is hilarious about this is that the commentators can't really pinpoint when he wrote this because he had so many situations in his life that sound like this. Was pretty much the description of his life. Isn't that fantastic, right? I mean, all these things, the troubles and the pain and the enemies and the issues. This is kind of an ongoing commentary on David's life. We have this thing sometimes where we're like, I can know that God loves me and he's caring for me because everything is peaceful and wonderful. Like that lasts for about 18 seconds, honestly, because life happens. We are in a world that has stuff and, and you can be even in a moment of utter bliss. Like you've had a great day. Um, everything's going well. You're feeling good. And, and, and then you run into the person with zero filter and they just say something that's just like, wow, that just came out of nowhere and ruined my whole day. You know, do you not know that I'm favored by the Lord? We have to learn that there is going to be a constant flow of stuff that we navigate. I remember... Um, one of the times I was in Haiti and, and we were driving, I maybe I've shared this story before, but we're driving and I'm like grabbing anything in the vehicle because we're driving like, and there's cars everywhere, no lanes or rules of any kind that I can perceive. It just feels like everybody is like, I'm here and I want to get there and I'm going to just get there. And, and I'm like, we're going to die. Like this is, it's just, it's just wild. And, and the guy driving me, he's like, you need to relax. It's like riding a river. And you just, you just go with the flow. And you just know. Like, I'm like, there's motorbikes with eight people on them. Like, there's, like, this is very, he's like, no, you just, you just, you just relax. You know the people are there, the stuff's there, but you just go with the flow. 
and you know you're going to get to the other side. And it was such a lesson for me on how much I need control. Um, So I got delivered from that that day, but... um, We have to learn how we are going to deal with the situations around us. And it's going to come back to our resolve in our relationship with God. Where we're not like everything's going to be great when nothing is rocking. But we know everything's going to be rocking all the time. And I am great on the inside. I am solid. I am resolved. There's this difference in, in words that I think is interesting between react and respond. And we are often very reactionary people. Reaction is something happens and I do something as a countermeasure. I have this reaction. I have to do something. In fact, the actual definition is to change in response to stimulus, to exert a reciprocal or counteracting force. I mean, somebody's a jerk to me, I'm a jerk back. Somebody does something to me and I recoil. Somebody does something to me and I turtle, whatever. But I, I react. I have this thing. I have this jump. I have this, I, something has happened and now I have to react to it. Reacting is exhausting. Reacting drains you. Reacting takes your energy and puts it someplace that it doesn't belong. Responding is to say or do something in response. And I love this phrase, to make an answer. To make an answer. Not just to, but, okay, this has happened. How am I going to respond? And my response will be well established if I am resolved on who I believe, who's my source, that I am loved, that nothing separates me from his love, that no matter who rejects me, who says something to me, who pushes me away, who hurts me, I am loved completely. I am seen, I am known, God has an answer, he will supply, he will meet my needs, he's my healer, he's my source and he's my goal, he's my strong tower, I am hidden in him, his love is enough for me, he will empower me, he will equip me, he will sustain me, I am resolved that God is my anchor in all things, so no matter what goes on around me, I am going to choose my answer because I am resolved. We need to understand that this is the kind of place that God's people should be. We shouldn't be the ones that get the little news update and go, dear God, don't you care? We're not, we're not supposed to be those people. We're supposed to be the people that when everybody else is doing that goes, you know what? God cares. God sees, God knows. Let's pause and find out what his answer is. Let's find out what he has to say about this. Let's seek him first. We're supposed to be the kind of people that shine a light in the middle of the darkness and people can run to it when they're afraid. We're not supposed to be the people running around with the whole sky is falling mantra coming out of our mouths. We should be different if we are resolved in knowing that God is who God says he is. It changes how we respond. Some of us straight up, the the issue with the, the pain that you're feeling in your heart is that you've been reacting to life. It's about time to start responding to life based on how your heart is resolved, where you are planted, what you believe. So Psalm 25, and we're just gonna walk through this, start at the beginning now. Looked at the situation that David was in, which was really bad. I mean, it sounds like it was a physical press. It sounds like it was a people issue. It sounds like he's surrounded by people that just really hate him. And he is resolved. He is determined 
in how he's going to respond. And his response starts in verse one. So number one, his response is to look up and trust. This is a key. What do I do? How do I respond? I'm going to look up and trust. And he says in verse one, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed and let not my enemies triumph over me. He's specifically saying, I have decided I'm not leaning on my own strength. I'm not leaning in my own abilities. I'm not going to try and figure it out right away. I'm lifting my soul up to you. You know what's going on. And I'm just asking you, you defend me. But I'm choosing, I am deciding, I am determining, I am resolved to trust you. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago or whenever. Trust is not based on situational evidence. It's based on the character of the one being trusted. You're trusting who he is. You're not saying it needs to play out exactly like I want it to play out, but you are saying, I trust that you are good. I trust your nature. I trust your character. I trust who you are. And so I am deciding to look up and put this, this place, this weight in you. Do you know that there's a thing that happens, you know, when we have really good human relationships even, where when something goes on in our life and there's a situation that demands our reaction and we choose to react, we will often run to somebody to fix it. And when that somebody can't get it right perfectly or fast enough, we get super upset and we feel abandoned and we feel betrayed. David had all sorts of resources. He had people at his disposal. He, he, had, he had situations that he could have activated. He had, you know, he had soldiers, he had warriors, he had finances, he had stuff. But his first response in conflict was, I lift my soul to you and I am trusting you. This is a key and this is wisdom. It's anchored in who he is. Number two, then he decides to wait on God our favorite word. Wait on God. Verse three says, indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who, who deal treacherously without cause. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed or be disappointed in soul. So he's saying there's this, I am deciding that not only am I lifting up my soul to you, I'm, I'm choosing to look up to you, I'm choosing to trust you, but I'm choosing to wait on you. That means, yes, God's timeline. It means serving him in the midst of the struggle, but it also specifically, the word that's used here is kavah, which is to bind together with, to expect, to wait for, on, and upon. It means I am wrapping myself together with you. In the middle of what I'm going through, in the middle of the stuff that has come up against me, in the middle of the issues that I can't solve, I am choosing to wrap myself together with you. I'm getting entwined with you. Now, this is hard. When you're in the middle of a struggle, this is consciously choosing to not freak out, right? It's consciously choosing to not, how are we going to solve it? 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 How are, how are you going to solve it? You should, you should care about this. You should solve it. You should solve it. You should solve it. Well, who's going to solve it? If I can't solve it and you can't solve it, who's going to It's not that. God, I am choosing to lift my soul to you. I am choosing to trust you. 
I trust you. I believe that you're a good God. I believe that you are the anchor for my soul. I believe that you are on the throne. I believe that you will not allow my foot to stumble. I, I believe that you will not allow me to be consumed. I thank you that I can be hidden in you and I trust that you see, that you know that you're working on my behalf. And right now in this place, I'm gonna wait on you. I'm gonna be entwined together with you, God. I am taking the time away from the stuff and I'm choosing, God, to entwine myself with you, to wait on you, with you, for you. I am in your presence. God, I'm choosing to worship you. I'm choosing to praise you. I'm choosing to seek you. I'm choosing to love you. I'm choosing to be here in this place. And God, I want to become more like you in this moment. I am not going to lean on my own understanding, but I'm trusting in you. So I am waiting on you. See, that's a, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. And some of us are like, I'm waiting on the Lord. I've been waiting on the Lord, but he hasn't come through. I've been waiting since yesterday at three o'clock and I haven't heard anything. <laughs> they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Waiting is not a passive activity. It is an active place of pursuing God's presence. And he is building you up from the inside out. So if you will stop squirming long enough, you will find out that something is being strengthened and built up and established on the inside. I had somebody once prophesy to me, you know, stay on the altar. I'm like, what? <laughs> He was like, I just see a picture of you. It's like you keep committing yourself to God and you crawl off the altar. Every time it gets uncomfortable, you just crawl off the altar. Stay on the altar. Let him do the work. I was so annoyed. <laughs> God's timing and our timing don't often match up very well. But when we wait on him, we literally have this thing where he is working in us a far greater weight of glory. There is something that is being done in us, but we, our job is to be with him and to entwine ourselves with him. That's why things like the Psalms are so helpful because when it's hard and it's like you can't just go with the nothing in your head, read, let King David give you words. Let the psalmists give you words to praise, to pray, to worship, whatever. Use some tools, get some good worship music on. Surround yourself with his presence, but decide. I will not create an Ishmael. I will not build my own backup plan. I will not try and create a substandard solution. I will wait on God. I will wait on God. And in the waiting, something is happening on the inside of me. And this thing is number three, look and learn. Look and learn. So I look up and I trust and I decide to wait on God. And then I look to learn. There's, there's, it's not just waiting, but something should be changing in me. We are being transformed from glory to glory. We are taken from strength to strength. And the numbers or the words that are used there is from glory to ever increasing glory, strength to ever increasing strength, meaning we should be developing and growing and changing over the course of time as we walk with God. We won't grow if we don't learn. Yeah. If you're still breathing, you can learn. 
The whole like, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, that's for dogs. <laughs> You're a person and you have capabilities of learning and changing and growing and developing. One of the things somebody said to me, you know, what's one of the best things about being married so long? I said, we rarely fight anymore. We rarely make stupid decisions anymore. I feel like the first 10 years of our marriage, we still didn't fight that much, but we just bashed into walls at the same time together. We just like, we learned all the things not to do by making really crappy decisions on the repeat. Like, oh, that we should do this. We should, we should buy a this. We should get a this. We should go to this. And, and well, how are we going to buy groceries for the rest of the week? Well, we sure enjoyed that dinner out or whatever, you know, we just, we just made a series of bad, now we just don't as much, not never, but rarely. Why? Because smart people learn. We should learn things along the way. And so this process, King David became one of the greatest kings in history because every time he had a blip, every time he ran into an obstacle, he ran to God and said, teach me something. Show me something. Help me understand this. Literally, the verses in verse 4 and 5, this is going on. He's lifted his soul. He's decided to trust God. He waits on the Lord. Verse 4, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation, and on you I wait all day. What am I doing while I'm waiting? I am learning. Literally, show me, teach me, lead me. Show me, teach me, lead me. Show me, teach me, lead me. Many times we are like, God, I'm coming in prayer. Fix it. Just, Lord, I'm just asking you to overwhelm me with your love and your kindness and just restore it all and put it together. That is not what King David said. He's like, okay, I got stuff. I got people that are trying to kill me. I got situations around me. God, I'm coming before you and I am asking you, show me your ways. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. In other words, there's gotta be a better way. Some of us are quicker with this sort of things. Again, marriage-wise, um, we, 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 mm. one of us is more stubborn than the other and one of us is a better problem solver than the other, and it annoys me which order that goes in, but um, <laughs> we got one of those trees in our front yard with the devil berries that drop like, I mean, in the springtime, it's lovely because it's all flowering tree, whatever, and then it grows these purple berries, you know the ones I'm talking about, and Ours was exceptionally fruitful this year. And then it was windy and they all dropped. And it looks like this blood trail down our driveway, down the sidewalk, on our neighbor's driveway, on their car, on our car. It's just so bad. So I, I'm like, we really need to get these things cleaned up. We really need to move them. Wayne's like, yeah, I do every year, you know. And I'm like, well, that's really bad this year. It's because he's been busy and wasn't home for like two weeks. But I'm just like, I can't take it anymore. I'm going to... I'm going to deal with the berries. And I'm feeling good about myself because, you know, he's done this for years. I can do it too. I'm a strong woman. I can handle this. So I get the shovel out and I'm like scooping down the driveway and whatever. And, and it's 
just, it's looking, it's literally looking like some sort of massacre has happened. It's just red smears all over the place. Like it looks like there should be some sort of police tape or something, but, um, and I'm going and I'm like, I'm exhausted. I'm sweating. It's bad. Neighbors are starting to come home from work and I'm like, just, eh. so Wayne comes home and he's like, do you want to, do you want to do it the better way? Oh, you get back in that truck right now. <laughs> so help me. Well, out comes the leaf blower and the whatever. And... <sighs> and it took about, I don't know what, babe, like eight minutes? After... So we learned a couple things. One, there's a better way to do it. Two, I'm never doing it again. It is his job from now on. I don't need to do the job. It'll happen. Somebody eventually is going to get to it the better way. The point is, I know this about myself. I know that when it comes to life, I have this tendency to make it work. I am strong. I am determined. I am not quitting. I will solve this. We will fix it. You can't knock me down. And God's like, um, <clears throat> would you like to do it the better way? Because <laughs> my yoke is easy and my burden is light. need to stop the struggling and go, God, show me the path. Show me the way. Teach me how it works. Teach me what to do. Your ways are always higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your results are good. Come on. When we're in the pain, when we're in the struggle, we can read a bazillion books, we can search a bazillion websites, we can find a self-help solution, or we can say, show me, teach me, lead me, I wait on you. Some of us today, that is the key you've been waiting for. Literally, let this permeate your heart and stop being so darn stubborn. You might be able to muscle your way across the finish line, or you can run like a victor because you did it with the light and easy path that he's prepared for you. There is a strength unto strength, a glory unto glory that he's intended for us to do this life. He does not say that life is going to be without struggle. He does not say that there's going to be no pressure, that there's going to be no squeeze. In fact, he says there's going to be. But he also says that he will lead us through that when the winds blow and the rains cr- come, the house built on the rock stands firm. It doesn't sit there cursing the wind. It stands firm, resolved. There is a better way. Verse 9 and 10 in that same passage goes on a little further and it says, The humble he guides in justice and the humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners his way. The humble he guides in justice. The humble he teaches his way. Humility is literally trusting the anchor of who God is. Saying that your ways are higher than my ways. The paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. 
Number four then, clean the slate. Clean the slate. And sometimes I think it's important for us to recognize that we don't always run to God because we feel convicted of something we got going on in our own lives. Oh, you don't care about me. I've been doing this stuff again. I've been doing the things. I've been struggling with this. I said the this. I was on that site. I did the, you don't really care. We sometimes have this internal conviction that instead of processing it as I need to run to you because I've sinned, we go, God doesn't want to see me because I'm sinful. And this is, the example we see in King David's life is so beautiful because we see him, I mean, his sin is recorded for all of history. I mean, come on, we've all got stuff, but the dude slept with his friend's wife, got her pregnant and then killed his friend. It's pretty bad. Like for those who haven't read the Old Testament, I'm sorry, I just like ruined that for you, but um, (laughs) it's pretty bad. And yet he runs to God. And in the midst of his turmoil, when that situation happened, he said, God, to you, I have sinned. His heart was so broken because of how he had hurt the heart of God. We run towards God in our brokenness instead of away from him, or that's how it's intended to be. But the deceiver of our souls, the liar comes and he goes, you should be so ashamed. You should be so ashamed. You shouldn't talk to those church people anymore. You shouldn't go to church. You certainly shouldn't pray. You're a fake. If you're going to put on worship music, you're a fake. You're a fraud. You're a liar. Shame, 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 shame. Jesus is so different than that voice. When Peter denied him, when Jesus was about to be crucified and Jesus saw him. Jesus went out of his way after the resurrection to go and restore Peter, to go and find him and bring him back into relationship again, to bring him back into the place of his calling. There are story after story after story in the Bible, not of perfect people, but of broken people who make terrible choices who God shows mercy towards. His love, his forgiveness, his kindness is there for each one of us. And sometimes the reason that the pain and the struggle and the heartache is there is because we simply need to clean the slate with God. Verse 6 and 7 of this same passage says, Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord, and down to verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. This is included in his prayer. In the midst of all the trust and the learning and the leading, he's like, I, I want to make sure that I'm right with you. And because you are good, not because I'm good, for your name's sake, forgive me. For Because of who you are, forgive me. Wash me clean. Give me that clean start that I need to be right with you. He comes and he's not trying to avoid it. He's not trying to hide it. He's not trying to disguise it. He's like, you know what? This is where I've been. I've had some stuff behind me, but God, I'm asking for your forgiveness. And do you know, sometimes when we talk about Psalm 8 that we started the service with this morning, that praise is ordained in in the mouths of babes and nursing infants to silence the enemy and the avenger. The avenger literally means the one that comes from the past. 
So sometimes as you're moving forward and things can be pretty good, but you're in a weakened state, you've been in the battle for a little while, what comes up to your mind is stuff from two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. Stuff that, that you're not there anymore. That's not who you are. That, you don't live there anymore. You're, you're not, you haven't done that in years. You haven't had that heart attitude in years. But the enemy comes up and he just whispers in your ear because you're in a weakened space. He whispers in your ear, yeah, that's what, that's what you've done. People know who you are. People know what a scumbag you are. People know what kind of a jerk you've been. People know who you've hurt. People know the brokenness you've caused. God says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word tells us that he takes our sins and he throws them as far as the east is from the west and he chooses to remember them no more. It is about us actually coming to God and saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to make sure that the enemy is silenced right now. I'm bringing this to you. I thank you for your forgiveness. That's 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins. So, King David specifically talks here about sin. He says, remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions according to your mercy. Uh, remember me for your goodness sake. And verse 11, for your name's sake, pardon my iniquity. Now, just to give you a little bit of a help with that, sin, the definition of the actual sin, it's the, the offense, it's the thing that you do. It's the action that we take. So the action, the wrong, the offense, that sin, God forgive me you know, for punching so-and-so in the face. God forgive me for lying. God forgive me for cheating. God forgive me for whatever, that's the sin. But the iniquity is the perversity or the moral evil or the fault. It's the cause. So not just forgive me for doing this, but God cleanse my heart from the motivation that, that made that happen. The thing on the inside of me that was damaged or broken or twisted. The thing on the inside of me that created the desire to want to do that. Lord, heal, forgive my sin and heal me, cleanse me from that iniquity. Change me on the inside so that my desires change. It's literally a two-step thing, and it's, it's just sometimes we can not, never deal with the cause that's on the inside, and we just are frustrated, and we'll, we'll repent, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 times for the same action, and it never seems to change. Well, maybe we need to let God into the heart stuff underneath it. God, deal with the iniquity in my heart, that whatever is perverse, whatever is twisted, whatever is damaged on the inside, cleanse that. Heal it, wash it, restore it. And this is what David said. He's like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna be that person. It's not just what I do, but who I am. I wanna be right with you. I wanna be twisted and bound together with you. Do something in my life. See, he's the whole rest of the psalm. What I want you to understand is we started with the final verses of like all the, the stuff that's against him. But the whole first bit, he's just dealing with himself and God. Some of us are so focused on the circumstances of life that we forget that the core reality of our relationship with him is where everything comes out of. We really need to get our eyes off the bank balance. We really need to get our eyes off of the, you know, the, like the medical documentation, whatever. We need to get our eyes off whatever fight we just had with somebody, whatever situation, whatever panic at work, whatever. We need to get our eyes off of that stuff. And we go like, God, you are the center of it all. 
I'm leaning into you. So we choose this place of, of cleaning the slate. Number five, choose humility. And again, this is the walkthrough of what this looks like. We look to learn, we clean the slate, we choose humility, and that is just all of this stuff packaged up together. Verse nine, the humble he guides in justice and the humble he teaches his way. Verse 12, who is the man that fears the Lord? Him he shall teach in the way he chooses. Humility requires a healthy fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 talks about the, the whole beginning of wisdom is in the fear of the Lord. So when we are choosing, humility is literally saying God's ways are better. He is higher than I am. I'm choosing to bring myself into submission to his rulership, to his leadership. I'm choosing to bring myself into a place where I recognize that he is above me. God, I submit myself to you. I fear you. I'm in awe of who you are, of what you do, of how you function. I'm in awe of your holiness, and I'm choosing it. I'm bringing myself into submission to that. I am choosing humility. Humility is so counter-cultural, it's ridiculous. Deciding to put myself first and my choices and my needs and my wants and my goals and my resources and my plans, my feelings, to put my stuff first is like the mantra of this generation. Look after you and yours. Humility is like, God, I'm yours. I've come into relationship with you. You are master of the universe. What do you want to do with my life? How can I serve you today? How can I honor you today? How can I love you today? How can I represent you well today? It's this place of putting myself secondary. It's saying to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ. If I'm living, I have a life that is meant to represent and reflect Christ. It's meant to honor him. I choose the way, the path of humility. Do you know how many issues, how many relational conundrums would be solved if we would choose humility? We all probably in the middle of a fight have a momentary flicker of, I could apologize. I could back down. I could walk away. I could let this go. And then we have a, but I don't want to because I'm right. And they need to know that I'm right. I've got this sorted. I need them to understand what I know. Humility is the path of life. King David walks in this. He honors the Lord and he lives in the fullness. The pro product of this, number six, is live in the promise. Live in the promise. And starting at verse 13, it says, he himself, in fact, I'll start at 12. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. He himself, this is the person, shall dwell in prosperity and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him and he will show them his covenant. Isn't that incredible? It goes on and it says, my eyes are ever toward the Lord for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. 
This is the promise. If we will do these things, if we walk in this measure of relationship, we actually get to experience the prosperity. That means enough and then some. It's enough to bless. We get to experience the, the prosperity in the, all the areas of our life. God fills us to the fullness in measures that we can be a blessing. The descendants, our descendants will inherit the earth. The wise counsel, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And he shows them his covenant. The Amplified says the secret or wise counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him and he will let them know his covenant and reveal to them through his word its deep inner meanings. This is the stuff that God promises us when we run to him first. I believe today there's this thing that if we really believed that this is what comes out of the relationship with him, we would be really quick to engage it. But we fight sometimes to believe that this is possible. So the question kind of in my spirit is, what, what is your expectation in and from the Lord? Truthfully, what are you expecting from him? What are we expecting from him? What do we believe he wants to do? What do we believe is in his nature to do? Are we actually living in hope of the promise? Do we actually believe he wants to heal us in every area? Do we actually believe he wants to supply us? Do we actually believe he wants to restore our hearts? Do we actually believe he loves us? Do we actually believe his care is there for us? Do we actually believe the provision of God is available to us? And if we do, the invitation is there. I'm going to have the, the worship team coming up. We're going to close today with a song that is a prayer. Because the invitation of the Lord is for us to experience him in every area of our lives. That there is healing of heart, healing of mind, healing of body. That there is the restoring of the soul, that there's wisdom and direction. For anyone who this morning came in and you were feeling just overwhelmed, you need to make some decisions and it feels overwhelming. There is wisdom. There is literally, God, teach me your ways. Lead me in the path. For those who feel like the relationships have been so broken, everything you touch just seems to fall apart. People don't understand you. Your, your heart is broken. The invitation of the Lord is there. And he calls us to come close. And, and we have to decide, God, I look to you. I lift my soul to you. And I, man, I don't trust a lot of people right now, but I trust you. I trust you. I am choosing to wait on you. I'm not going to do anything reactionary. I'm not going to run off and, and try and fix things on my own. I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to be entwined together with you, God, until I can feel what your heart is about this, until I can sense what you want me to do. I'm going to clean the slate. Maybe there's some things that I have actually brought upon myself because I'm living in a way that is contrary to your plan for me. And as I wait on you, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you reveal that to me, that the conviction of God is not about shaming anybody. It's about healing. Condemnation is attached to shame. 
Conviction is attached to freedom. Come on, let me say that again. Condemnation is attached to shame. Condemnation comes from the enemy, but conviction is attached to freedom. When the Holy Spirit pokes something and is like, you need to, you need to stop that. You need to ask forgiveness for that. You need to be restored to that person. You need to deal with that. He's not saying that because you're bad. He's saying that because he wants to offer you freedom and life and wholeness. Clean the slate. God, maybe my attitude was lousy. Maybe my actions were a little too hasty. Maybe my mouth was a little too loose. God, forgive me. Forgive the sin. Cleanse me from iniquity. Whatever is twisted up on the inside of me that has been fighting against your perfect plan. God, I ask you to heal me. Forgive my iniquity. Cleanse me. Wash me clean. Make me new. That whatever loophole is open, whatever access point is open over my home, my life, my family is closed in Jesus' name. Because the blood of Jesus stands in defense. I'm right with you. Clean the slate with the Lord. Choose humility. God, forgive me for making my own solutions, building my own plans, creating my own backup system. Humble myself under God's mighty hand that in due season, He will raise us up. God, your ways are higher than my ways. I'm choosing to humble myself before you, to fear you. Doesn't matter if everybody else in my life thinks something is a good idea. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so God, I need to make wise moves. So I choose what you say is right. I choose what you say is your plan for me. I choose what you say is holy, what you say is just. And I choose to live in the promise. The timetable might not be the one that I have chosen. The plan might look not, not look like the one I thought was gonna be the best. But I'm living in the promise. I am choosing to believe that I will dwell in prosperity and my descendants will inherit the, the earth, that your secret wise counsel is with me and you show me your covenant. You reveal truth to me in your word. You pluck my feet out of the net. I will not be trapped. I will not be tripped up, but I walk in your wisdom. That's the promise. And so God, whatever that looks like, whatever it takes to get there, that's the path I'm choosing. I'm, I am inviting you today. The Spirit of God is inviting us today. Not, I don't, I don't believe anybody is just supposed to be persuaded by a sermon. Because you'll need another one in two days to pick you up after you bumped into the next thing. I'll need another one in two days to pick me back up. God is inviting us today to be resolved. Not just to decide. And I'm not here to convince anybody of anything. The inner heart resolve 
is kind of the same thing that stands at an altar when a man and woman make their vows to one another. And we say things like, no matter what comes, good times, hard times, prosperous times, low times, until we're old. And we, we say things like, I want to be with you and grow old with you. And then things start falling apart and you question that. <laughs> I'm saying there are decisions that sometimes we make at 18, 19, 20, 25, 30 years old. that we don't really know if we've made a resolve until it's tested. Sometimes we say the words, but the resolve is when we bump into the wall and we hit the, the leaner times, the not so fun times, the physical older times, the times when stuff didn't turn out like we quite planned and we decide in a marriage it's not optional. I'm resolved to be with you as long as God gives me breath. God designed marriage as a reflection or representation of Christ and his bride. So when I use a marriage thing, this is not about, you know, anybody who's had a, you know, broken marriage or anything like that. It is literally, this is the, this is the analogy that we're given when we read in the word that our bridegroom is coming that there is a bride that has been prepared for the beloved. And he wants to know, not just do we want to be with him when everything looks good and we're feeling like the moment, but are we resolved to know? Do we believe like the Apostle Paul spoke in Romans? that I am convinced, I'm convinced that nothing, nothing I'm ever going to face is gonna separate me from the love of God. Nothing I'm ever gonna come across, no hardships, no issues, no devil, nothing is gonna separate me from the love of God. There is an absolute love that is there for me. There is an absolute relationship. There is an absolute covenant. And I am resolved to live in it, to stand in it, to, to, to worship out of it, to pray out of it, to do business out of it, to love my family out of it, to do marriage, life out of it. I am resolved. Nothing will separate me from the love of Christ. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.